Good morning. Let there be light. I'm raring to go this morning. But let me first say that um, we're going to resume Ephesians first Sunday in June. I, I'm sorry. I would love to be marching through Ephesians, but this thing came up. It's called a seroma. Actually, back in January, just overnight, literally, a egg-shaped spheroid developed under my right axilla. Okay, last, last service I called it an axilla. They're spelled the same, but Shelley was a nurse, so after the service she explained it's axilla. But I, you look just as blank as they did in the first service, so axilla, axilla. It's what doctors call an armpit. So <laughs> for us laymen. So anyway, I had this egg-shaped development under my right arm in my, I'm sorry, you know, from the pulpit, it's just hard for me to say armpit, but, <laughs> and that was, I'd had that happen before. In fact, it, it went on for months, and finally, you know, Shelley said, oh, it's probably just a swollen gland. Have you been, had a, you know, a fever or anything lately? I said, no. How long have you had it? Months. Well, we better get that checked out. Well, we had it checked out in 2012. They went in and did surgery and pulled out a lymph node. It was a lymph node. They aren't supposed to be egg-shaped in size. So uh, it turned out it was cancerous. Went through all the cancer stuff and then put that behind me. And so this last January, when I got another one of those things, you could go, ooh, maybe we ought to pay attention to this. So anyway... They took out a lymph node and a seroma. And a seroma was, a seroma is an area where they take out a lymph node and then fluid goes in there where they, you know, they, it's a surgical site. And, and then the fluid gets in there and it keeps filling in that area. Now, in, in geology, that's called oil. But... <laughs> But in our body, it's not supposed to happen. So anyway, so they took out a lymph node and a seroma and everything. The doctors say that's benign, which means there is no evidence of cancer. So I'm really grateful for that. But I've been having these complications. See, now I'm getting another seroma. And so the pastoral staff said, well, you should talk this morning about things that happen that we don't expect. So I decided I would call this message my seroma. <laughs> and for a few of you, this may bring back to mind a 70s pop hit. And that may be playing in your head now. My, 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 my seroma. No. But, uh, At any rate, 
I'm going to resume Ephesians 1st of June because next Sunday we're going to hear about all of our student ministries during Easter week and the missions work uh, that went on during that week. And then the week after that is the first Sunday of May, and we're going to have Celebration Sunday, and we need to celebrate. And then the week after that is Mother's Day, and I'm going to be speaking on Mother's Day because I love mothers, and I want to speak about mothers. And I wouldn't be here without a mother. And there are mothers in my life that I'm really grateful for. So we've got to speak about mothers on Mother's Day. And then the two weeks after that, um, I'm going on vacation. So, June, be here. Now, let me just say something, since I've got your attention. Um, I put upwards toward and beyond 30 hours a week into a message. Do you know why I do that? It's not job security. It's because I really care about you. And I want to bring God's Word accurately and authoritatively in a relevant and meaningful way that helps us squeeze the most out of the truth of His Word, which is His great gift to us, next to Jesus Christ and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So when I come, I am revved up. I'm not revved up because I want to blow your minds. I'm revved up because I want to teach you something that I believe will help you because it has helped me. I grow most of all, but I want to share what I have learned and what has helped me to walk closely and dynamically, vivaciously, with Jesus Christ, to know the reality of His resurrection power and life. That's what this is all about. And I want us to know it as a church so that we are on fire for Christ and spreading the warmth of His Spirit into the lives of each other and those that our lives touch. So I want you to be here every Sunday. And I have to admit, it kind of disappointed me. That isn't why I got sick. This is, <laughs> but um, I noticed that here we're in Ephesians week to week, and I'm seeing a different crowd every Sunday. I want us just to be thinking about, you know, I want you to do more than think. I want you to change the way you attend church. I want you to make it a priority. I want you to recover your hunger and your great love for the Lord and desire to sit under His Word. Come excited. Read in advance. Be charged up and ready to go because I am revving up and ready to fire on Sunday every week. Amen indeed. So I'm giving you my very best. Don't miss it. Don't let it go to waste, okay? That's what I've been called to do. And I, I have a high calling that I take very, very seriously. But unexpectedly, my seroma. Um, and because of that, the staff wanted me to talk about things that we don't expect that come up. And we experience the unexpected every day. 
every day. So we don't need to talk especially about my Saroma. We could talk about you as much as we could talk about me. And actually, we don't even have to talk about my Saroma. We could talk about any of the days of my life, just as you could talk about any of the days of your life. Just like when I got home yesterday, I found Shelly. Well, actually, I stopped into the bathroom first, and I was cleaning out my thermos in the bathtub. These are details you didn't need to know, but <laughs> we're getting down into the real life of John Venema. And when she heard the bathtub water come on full force, and I didn't realize this, she came out of the back bedroom into the front bathroom, and she said, you scared me half to death. I didn't know you were home. I said, I was just washing out my thermos. She goes, well, I would appreciate it if you would let me know when you're coming home or something like that. That was the way it was impressing me. And I said, I'll have you know I'm lucky to be home because on the way home, I was driving on 198, and the guy in the right lane, I didn't even realize at first, was inching over because he wanted to go in the fast lane, and he didn't even have his blinker on, and I was right beside him, and he didn't even see me, and so I was driving with one road, I mean one wheel on the road and one wheel in the dirt, trying to stay. She goes, did you honk? I said, I, I actually was trying to control the car. But you see, we just never know, do we? I don't have to go back weeks to find something. I can go back to yesterday now, but you can too. Things in relationships, thing, things in your finances, uh, things in your workaday life or school life or friends, neighbors, co-workers. It doesn't take much to realize that the unexpected is a part of each and every day. James chapter 4, verses 13 through 15, James said, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town, and we'll spend a year there and make a profit. Yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Sometimes I say more and more, Lord willing, James 4.15. We enjoy temperature-controlled lives, small fluctuations can disturb us. Not only peasants, but all who flocked to Jesus led lives more fragile than ours. Think about that. Yet to them and to us, Jesus calms us with these words from Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 25. And I'm not going to read them. They go all the way to 34. You should reflect upon them sometime, but I'm just going to give you the beginning. Don't be anxious. That's what he says. He says to those peasants, 
I mean, they had, they had a, a load of worries, didn't, you, didn't they? But he says to all those who came, he didn't change up the message. There isn't a white-collar, blue-collar <laughs> message. It's the same. It's the same for them back then, and it's the same for us today. To us, with our cozy, comfortable lives. Really, I know you worry. I know you worry. You turn on the TV, you listen to, you get on the internet, you listen to your friends. You've got a lot of worries. But they don't come true. They don't, they don't happen. Most of them, we're all jacked up and worried about stuff that never... But yet, even to us, worried about all the other things in the world, Jesus says, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food? The body more than clothing? That's what Jesus said. No matter what our station in life, then, we humans worry. We may be anxious over, as a friend of mine was on Friday, when my friend called and said Southern Edison was going to cut off the electricity. Or we may be worried about a misunderstanding with a friend who we fear will block us or unfriend us on Facebook. Whatever the extreme, fear can immobilize. And I want us to appreciate the fact that fear, whether it manifests itself to our minds as anxiety or worry or whatever we call it, it really throws us off our game. I mean, really, we might as well go to bed or something because we're just good for nothing. We can't talk civilly to people. We can't do the things that are, we're responsible to do. Even work is hard. We can't think straight. We're distracted. Uh, we, ha we have nothing happy to say. Um, we, we can't encourage other people because we're all focused on our own stuff. In fact, worry is everywhere. Amy Simpson wrote in her book, Anxious. Now, please don't walk out on me. A last service, somebody walked out because I quoted Amy Simpson, who wrote a book about anxiety, because she had some things to tell us about America, not about the Bible and not about Jesus, but tell us about America. So I, I'm, I'm okay, all right? It's okay to quote Amy. She says, if you aren't worried, you are either dead, comatose, or seriously out of step with the culture. That tells us about our culture, and we as Christians should be out of step with our culture. She goes on to say, the majority of Americans say they live under moderate to high stress levels. The American Psychological Association indicates that more than half of Americans... Now, if we were representative of the culture at large, that would be half of us. 
Half of Americans report stress-related health problems. A survey revealed that 40%, one-fourth, four out of every ten here, of people said that in the past month, stress had caused them to overeat or eat unhealthy foods. One-third, which is even more, said they had skipped a meal because of stress. And more than 25% said they had been unable to sleep. What keeps you up at night? Politics? Finances? A social acceptance, approval? The future? You know, we think we want to know the future. It's a blessing we don't. In fact, the Stoic Seneca said in one of his letters to a friend, there's nothing more wretched or foolish than premature fear. What madness it is to anticipate one's troubles. He or she suffers more than is necessary who suffers before it is necessary. Yet the Apostle Paul said, echoing Jesus, be anxious for nothing. Don't get anxious about anything. Don't become anxiety-ridden because of anything. That's what he's saying. Right here in the letter to Philippians, chapter 4, verse 6. And that's what I'd like to read to us. If you have your New Testament, turn to Philippians. It's just to the right of Ephesians. And if you, and I, you know where Ephesians is is because we've been in Ephesians, but if you don't, check your index. Ephesians, then Philippians, chapter 4, verse 6, 7, 8, and 9. We're going to look at them together this morning. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. Note the contrast. In nothing, but in everything. By prayer and by supplication, together with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul is emphasizing one thing that I want to emphasize to all of us who live in a culture, in a nation that is worry-ridden. Pray. 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 Pray, because the results are swift. And the result that Paul tells us 
twice, not only in verse 7, but also in verse 9, is that the God of peace will be with us. His peace, which defies human understanding. Please note that. I am a brain-driven person. I thank God for the faculty of reason. I think rationality is good. I depend on it every day. And I advocate good thinking. But this piece defies all of our thinking, good or bad, if we trust Him, if we turn to Him and pray. And I want us to realize not only is the result swift, but the result is swifter. I like that word, swifter. I could have just said swift, but swifter, that is, that's got some zing, don't you think? It's swifter. Not to be confused with that floor mop, the, what is that, a swiffer? Yeah. This is not swiffer. This is swifter. This is swifter if we do three things. These are conditions, I believe. And if we'll do them, it can change our lives. First, pray right. Second, think right. And third, do right. Pray right, think right, do right. Now, let's look at verse 6 under pray right. Two key points I want us to notice. The first is we're supposed to pray instead of worrying. And that's not something we do. If you were to put, say, a marble for every time you worry into a pan and a marble into another for every time you pray, uh, all the marbles are going to be in the worrying pan. We've got to pray more. We've got to turn to God. And I don't know why we don't, but it's kind of our nature. We're preoccupied. And we've grown up in a country that pulled it up by its own bootstraps. We are self-made people. We are industrious. We get the job done. We are responsible. So it's hard for us to turn to someone bigger than us because we think we have to be big enough to take care of it all ourselves. But that is exactly how we need to recondition our thinking and that recondition our hearts to trust God in all the little things. All things. Nothing is excluded. There is no exception here. He says, do not be anxious in anything or for anything, but in contrast, in everything. By prayer and petition, in other words, making a request, make your requests known, God to, known to God. And then the peace of God, which defies our thinking, defies our reasoning, which causes us to worry, you see. That's where that thinking takes us. The peace of God will settle in our hearts. We will be guarded by the peace of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's an amazing promise, and it is swift. It is very swift. If you will practice it, 
and trust God as you do, it will be even swifter. But you can make it swifter if you pray right, think right, do right. So the first thing is pray instead of worrying. The second thing I want us to notice, and this is really important, pray with thanksgiving. Now, we would expect Paul to tell us to, to pray, and then after God has answered our prayers, to give Him thanks. That makes sense, huh? Give Him thanks when He's answered our prayers. But that's not what Paul says. He says, pray making requests with thanksgiving. That's a huge difference. That's in the process of engaging God over our concerns, the things that are worrying us. We are told to give thanks, but that is how we encounter the peace of God, because when we give thanks, it changes our perspective. We We do not give thanks for difficulties, hardships, and adversities. And that's why we worry. See, we don't see them as reasons to give thanks. There are things that are bad that we don't want, that we wish would change, that never happened. In other words, the unexpected and the uneventful, we don't give thanks for. Paul is telling us, to give thanks for those things because it will open our eyes to see God at work in ways we can't imagine. It will give us perspective on the fact that these things which are beyond our control are not beyond His control. And it's very important for us to remember that God cares very much about us. I'm going to weave that thought, but I want to point out something about worry The word worry here in verse 6 is also found in Philippians chapter 2, verse 20, in this same letter. And it's used of Timothy. And he describes Timothy as having a legitimate care, a legitimate concern, um, a valid, a true concern and care for the Philippians. He, he kind of lifts Timothy up as an example, and yet it's the very same word that here is translated worry or anxiety. What I want us to appreciate are three things that I want to teach you, because I used to be a worrier, a big worrier, and this passage has helped me. First of all, replace the worry with the word concern. A worry, this is the same word Paul uses. In one place, it's a worry. In another place, it's identified as a legitimate concern. There are things that really matter to us. Do you know why I was a big worrier? Because my dad drilled it into me to be responsible to be so responsible that I had to control everything. <laughs> that's, what, that's the curse of being a responsible person. You are so responsible, you can't let anything go. 
very responsible people are really bad leaders because they want to do everything themselves and they can't delegate. Listen, I became a good leader because I started trusting God. I let go of things. I let go of control that I don't have, that I never was supposed to have. But what I do is appreciate the difference between a worry and a concern. See, a worry is when you have no control. Even if you have a responsibility, if you don't have control and, and you just can't function, then that is becoming a worry. What you have to do is give that over to, the, to God and realize He's the only one with the control. But then it shouldn't be a worry. It should be a concern. You see the difference? I hope you do. A lot of us use the word worry when we should make a distinction between what is a worry and is a concern. You can still have responsibility and it be a concern, even if it isn't in your control. But it becomes a worry when you're trying to control things that only God can control. So replace the word worry with the word concern. What happens when we're control freaks and you have no control is the conscience, your conscience, because you're a responsible person. You've got to do something. This matters. It's on you. So the conscience screams, do something. What, what do I do? What can I do? There's nothing I can do. Well, do something. You're responsible. Okay, um, I'll start cursing. How about that? Or I'll get angry. Or I'll blame somebody else. Or I'll go stomping around worrying because worrying makes me feel at least I'm responsible. If you're a worry wart, you know, oh, I can't have fun. I'm worrying. God's joy is on hold because I'm worrying. I'm responsible. See, God is just shut out with worry because our responsibility becomes so important. Our control of things. is all focused on us. And that's unhealthy. Second, remember God has control and He cares for you. In 1 Peter 5, 7, it says, cast on Him every care. And that's the same word that Paul uses here. Every care. Every concern or worry. For He cares for you. The second care is a little different word. It means that God takes a great interest. You matter to Him. You matter to Him. You can cast your cares. The word actually has the idea of casting upon. Do you ever uh, maybe go to someone's aid when you see them loaded down and you, you say, or you say, hey, I can help. Put it up. Go ahead. Put it on me. One box. Oh, go ahead. I can put another box on there. I got, I got plenty. Go ahead. Add another. God is saying that to you and me. He wants you to put your cares on Him because He has an interest. He has a great interest in you. You matter to Him. 
That's what 1 Peter 5, 7 is saying. What Paul is asking us to do when we cast our cares on him, when we, when we ask him to help us instead of worrying, Paul is then really thinking of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22 through 23, which describes a life in direct contrast to what worry produces. And yet how many of us, when we're anxious and we worry, there's no love, there's no joy, there's no peace, there's no patience, there's no kindness, there's no generosity, there's no gentleness, there's no self-control, there's no faithfulness. You see, when we pray, we're, we're saying, God, you become real in my life in a very practical, tangible way. The third thing is realize God is stronger when we are weaker. Paul parades the fact in his letters, none more clearly than in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, because it's a personal issue for him. But Paul parades the fact that the power of God operates where there is no human power. God's power operates when you and I get out of the way. When you and I let go. Have you ever stepped on a small little piece, walking barefoot, maybe in the kitchen, and you, somebody broke a glass and they missed that one little piece of glass that finds its way into the bottom of your foot? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Yes, it is a major thing. Your whole world begins to revolve around that little piece of glass that you cannot even see in your foot. And Paul comes to the Lord in 2 Corinthians 12 with a thorn in the side. He wants to get rid of that. He appeals to God three times. He is persistent. He is pushing God. And God comes back to him and says, Paul, my grace is all you need. And, Paul, my power is made mega powerful in your weakness. My power is made great. My power is made perfect in your weakness. So let go. Let go. doesn't mean that we aren't responsible. When we calendarize something, it just means I can't control anything now, Lord, and you know, I, you know how responsible I want to be. So I'm going to put it on the calendar or in my smartphone or in my day timer or on a piece of paper on the refrigerator or the mirror where I shave or do my hair, whatever it is. But on that day, I'm going to handle it. I'm going to get in touch with the person that I need to talk to that is out of town. Or I'm going to talk to the person that I need to talk to that I really don't want to talk to because I'm scared to death to do the right thing and talk to them face to face in your love, Lord, which casts out all fear, and put it on the calendar and do it. You can't do it today, but you can do it on Wednesday. There are all kinds of things in life that we can't fix right now 
that we can calendarize and give to the Lord at the same time and make plans to follow up responsibly and then say, when you let it go, God, if you need me before then, just call on me. I'm ready to go. I am not kidding you. That is the way I live my life. If I can't fix it now, I am the guy who wants to do it and fix it right away. But I realize life doesn't work that way. So instead of stacking up all the things I can't fix, I spread them out over the week and the month in a way that is responsible, and then I go after it in His power and in His love. Not in anger, but in love. And you'll begin to see God working in your life in ways you've never realized. Because you'll realize to do that. Do you know that I don't like speaking in public? Do you know why I speak in public? Because the Lord asked me to. And I do it the very best I can. But I have to work through anxiety every week getting ready. So we go forward in faith. You see? Okay. Replace the word worry with the word concern or make a distinction. Remember, God has control and He cares for you. And three, realize God is stronger than we are. He is powerful when we are weak. Pray that, and the results are swift. Swifter if we think rightly or correctly. In verse 8, he says, thinking is powerful. Listen, if we could have a sit down with Paul. I mean, wouldn't you like to have Paul as a counselor? What if you could have a moment with Paul? And you came to him and you said, Paul, I know this is embarrassing I want to handle this, but this one thing is a weak point for me. I haven't worked through it with the Lord before. It's, it's scary to me. I'm anxious. I'm worrying. I, I can't sleep. I can't eat. I'm no good to the Lord right now. What would you have me do? Well, here's his answer. The first thing he'd say is pray. And then you say, okay, I pray. And with thanksgiving to recognize God's role in all of this. Because when I pray with thanksgiving, I gain that perspective to see that God's answers are bigger than my requests. My little narrow request will be the only way I can see God working unless I start giving thanks for things as they are. And then I begin to realize that God can answer in ways that are broader, bigger, healthier, wiser than my little narrow request. That's very important. The second thing, you'd say, well, okay, well, after I pray, then what? He'd say, okay, after you've prayed, you've got to make sure you continue to think right. Don't return to the, your stinking thinking. I was always told you should have a little poem in every sermon. That was mine. We engage in a lot of stinking thinking. And Paul says, here's what you should think about, whatever's true. 
You see, that's, that's not just positive thinking, that's accurate thinking. Do you realize how much it would change your attitude, your disposition, if you would just think accurately, think honestly, think fairly? Now, come on. I realized that I was not doing that years ago. Maybe I'm all alone in this, but the fact of the matter is, is that I still have to make choices about thinking accurately because sometimes I want to think negatively. When I talk to somebody about, when I, if I talk to my wife about somebody that has wronged me, but I have a relationship with that per- person, thinking accurately to me means okay, they did that, but I want you to see the big picture. I don't want you to just feel sorry for me because I've told you something negative about this person without giving them the whole picture. That alone would change a lot of us. What if we didn't see things always negatively and we saw them in a balanced way, realized that there is a sunny side to the street, Not everything is a downer. It it can be an upper. What if we were to be balanced in that way? What if we were not just to think of what is, but what could be? People knock the United States with good reason. But our Constitution and Declaration of Independence still calls us to ideals that we fall short of. And if that's true in our country, and people are choosing to just see the negatives and not aspire to the ideals, and individually say, I'm going to stand for something better, that is right, that is true, that is good, how much more we as followers of Jesus Christ should be set apart from the people in this country and the naysayers and the fault finders and be examples of those who live and aspire to things that are greater. Yes, we made a mistake. Yes, we blew it. Yes, we cheated. Yes, we lied. That's what the cross is for. Get that forgiveness into your head and your heart and move forward and aspire to greater things. All of you should be leaders in your respective areas, starting in your families, setting an example, living in ways that, yes, you failed to live. But you know what you do? You say, I was wrong. I am sorry. Please forgive me. I won't do that again. I can do better. I'll do it right next time. Why can't we do that? We can, and we should, with one another as the church of God, in our homes, at work, in every area of our lives. You will become incredible successes if you'll just do these simple things through faith in the power of God, with His love in your heart, knowing that nothing, nothing, can harm you because we are secure and sure in the love of God. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, is there nothing of excellence? If there is, find it and set your mind on that. 
This isn't going to happen by accident. You have to train yourself to start doing this. You have to make choices to do it. Focus your mind, and you know what you focus your mind on? Your mind grows with that. It does. Romans 8, 6 says, set your mind on the flesh, that's death. Set your mind on the spirit, that's life and peace. And I will tell you, in all honesty, if, if you think negatively, you'll be a negative person. If you think accurately, healthily, constructively, encouraging, you're going to be a leader. You're going to see the positives in things. And do you know, circumstances do not control you. It's your view of circumstances. You don't make decisions based on circumstances. You make decisions based on your thinking and how you view those circumstances. And if you view them as overwhelming, your decisions will be according. You have untapped, unlimited potential in Jesus Christ and His truth to make a difference in this world for Christ's sake, to save people practically by being a life of encouragement, hope, and truth. You are the only Bible some people will read. But I'll tell you, some of the Bibles that we let others read have nothing to do with Jesus Christ. And we've got to change that in a big way. And the last thing is to do right. And I was kind of talking about that. I'm fired up. Huh. Let's go. Let's get with this. Let's do this for the Lord. Not because you have to do it, but because you know it is a beautiful and good thing to stand for the things of the Lord in your heart, in your spirit, in your words, in your countenance, to be a dynamic catalyst. That's what Paul's asked. When Paul concludes this in the last part, verse 9, he says, look, you, don't, you haven't figured this out yet? Okay, just, just watch me. That's what I want all of us to say. What you've seen in me, what you've heard from me, do these things. It's not that hard. Keep your eye on me. I'll show you what to do. Come on, little buddy. That's what we need to be doing. You can do this in your own home, in your workplace, with your friends, with your neighbors. Just pray. Let God fill your heart with his peace and realize, God, you want to use me in this situation, no matter what the circumstance. That's the message. Will you stand? I'm going to pray. If you want to pray with us, come forward. We want to pray with you too. Heavenly Father, thank you for your great love, for your Son, Jesus Christ, for your great truth. These are not things of an old book. These are life principles that make all the difference in the way we see the world and live in the world. Thank you. For your son. Thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for one another. Thank you for your word.
We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, God bless you.